Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Junior Church is dismissed. Those of you that would like to go, help yourselves. It's good to be with you today. Welcome those of you who are watching online. It's always a blessing to have you join us as well. We'd love to have you here. Some of you are long distances, so uh, we thank you for tuning in. But um, we have a very, very special day today. Um, but before I get to that, I just want to reiterate a couple things that Biagio mentioned just a second ago in the announcements. If you haven't looked in the room in there just across from my office, it's just a real praise to the Lord and especially thank you uh, for giving what you have. It's just such a blessing to know that you have responded like you did for these folks in Kentucky. The stories just continue to come out about those needs. And so one thing about you guys, I can always tell people, is that when there's a need like this, you respond very well and very quickly. So thank you so much on behalf of those people whom we've never even met, but thank you for being willing to do what you do. So those things will go today. We've got someone coming to pick those things up here about 2.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30. And so those will get out of the building here. Also on the Thrive uh, Pregnancy, the bottles, the raising of the money, if you haven't brought your bottle in, please do that because I need to get those to the uh, pregnancy center this week, okay? Uh, we had quite a few bottles back there. looks like some of them have not come back, so if you, if you do have those, make sure, sure that you bring them back, okay? All right, so this morning we're going to go ahead and just pray. We've got a lot to cover today. It is a very exciting, exciting, special day for us as we're going to affirm Peter Holman as an elder of Laurel Hill. And so, uh, yeah, just a great, exciting time for me personally, for us as elders, and I hope it is for you as a church. And so uh, let's pray, and then we're going to cover some very pertinent information on biblical eldership this morning. Father, we thank you for our gathering, and we thank you for the joy of expressing our hearts to one another in fellowship and just loving on each other a little bit this morning. Uh, thank you for what we've already learned in Sunday school and just the care that you've shown us. Thank you, Lord, for the hearts of your people as they have responded, I'm sure, all around the country uh, and especially here at Laurel Hill to the needs that people have had in Kentucky. Uh, we pray that every item that has been placed as a gift would be a blessing to someone as these folks have really suffered catastrophic loss. Lord, beyond that, we just thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for giving us a heart of openness to see you uh, to give us the faith to believe, to give us the ability to repent of our sins. And so, Lord, we magnify you today. We glorify you in who you are and for what you have done, to, uh, done for us. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would hear our hearts. Help me to be clear this morning as we just reiterate some foundational truths about what it means to be an elder and even the church's response to that. And so, Lord, uh, as we celebrate this morning with the Holman family, and as a church. So we lift all these things up to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Again, so very, very exciting day. Um, and like I said, I want to go over some basics today. I'm going to interrupt our study in Matthew just to go over a couple things. I, several years ago, preached a series on eldership. You may not remember that. You can go back in the archives and find that if you will. But a critical study uh, as God gives us much by way of eldership. I wish I had time to go through all that I want to go through, but I don't have time this morning. So I'm just going to cover the basics of what eldership is all about. I mean, in fact, I've titled this message this morning, Biblical Eldership 101. Okay? So if you've been in a college class or any higher education learning or even in high school where 
you know you're in the beginning days of that study. That's kind of how they do it. And so I just wanted to give us the, ver- the bare minimums this morning just to help refresh your mind. And it was such a blessing to me. I was sharing with somebody this week as I was going through these truths in God's Word. I was just affirmed all over again and just very, very humbled uh, by my own calling. And so uh, it was just, just a good week. So stand with me this morning as we read our text. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning, actually, it's going to be just verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. All right, you may be seated. You hear in even Paul's message to Timothy that it is of the Lord to give the heart of, uh, give to the heart of a man the privilege and the joy of serving him. You know, we often wonder, if you're like me, you wonder what God is pleased with. And when we look in his, his word, we see truths from God about what pleases him. And so we see right here that God says, this is a good thing. And uh, what better thing to know that God is pleased with something that we're doing. So with that said, I want to break up this message into three parts. I want to define and explain a little bit about what elder leadership is. Secondly, I want to give some instructions to you, the church, about elders and your response to elders and where you fit with this. And then finally to Peter, I want to give him some instructions as our newest elder coming on. So let's just start with number one, defining and explaining elder leadership. Now, as I began to study some of this out myself again uh, after doing that many times, I realized it's probably better to define this by giving what it is not. Okay, So let me give you the negatives, and hopefully that will dispel some of the things that people have thought over the years. And I'm just going to mention these briefly. Number one, it is not an elevation of power over others. Okay, It is not that. In other words, eldership is not a position for a man to come into a church and dominate the church or control others. It's not what it's about. It's not about being in charge or just having some position to have dominance over people. So it's not that. You know, and that's a, a far cry really from what many people think of when it comes to uh, power and leadership. Uh, you look at our world, and I don't want to elaborate on this too much. You know what I'm talking about already. Some of you may serve under people who are power hungry, and I'm talking about out in the world. You may have been a part of a church where there was leadership that served that way. And in my opinion, and according to what God says, I don't see that as servant leadership at all anyway. Uh, But that is what it is not. Okay, number one. Number two, elder leadership is not an achievement. And I want you to hear these things carefully. As much as I can give to them, give them to you as carefully as you can hear them. What I mean by that, it is not an achievement to be earned by some talent or by some ability. It's not given in the sense of achievement by some time at the church. In other words, or service in various areas of ministry. And all this seems to makes sense that it would fit this way, but this is, again, what it is not. It's not because a person is a good businessman or owns a lot of things or is some kind of person with great uh, abilities and therefore a great status about that person. So this is not a status symbol. 
Thirdly, it is not the next logical step in church life. And I know I'm going through these quickly, but again, I would just kind of give you the basics of this. Some people have the idea that, well, if I start here in an area of service, then the next logical progression will be to go here. Uh, There are denominations even that elevate their own elders or pastors uh, from a small church. And then once they do well there, then they're ready to take on a bigger task and a bigger task and a bigger task. Well, that has its place in certain ways, but eldership biblically is not just the next logical step from moving, for example, even from the calling of a deacon to an elder. Some have the idea that if I serve as a deacon, then I'm going to be asked next to be an elder. And that's not necessarily the case because there is not a logical progression of steps as far as God is concerned or from any other position. This should be obvious. I hope it is at least. And unfortunately, it's not taken that way in some circles. It is not based on what a man has given to the church financially. Sometimes people are looked at for leadership because they're the most influential financially or they're the biggest givers. And sadly, we are people who are often motivated that way. We're swayed sometimes by what we do based on how a person gives to whatever we're doing. You know, a person may own a business, for example, and because a person, another uh, customer comes in and buys a lot of things, they are often swayed by the opinion of that person and what that person wants. Well, the church is not to be that way. So it's not about what a person gives financially. And that, uh, in the inner circles, those kinds of things come up from people. You know, we have even had people say to us at this church when they've left for various reasons, oh, you're going to miss my giving. And um, praise the Lord, we've not had that privilege of (laughs) missing something financially that somebody gives. You see, that's a wrong attitude. And I could go off on that, and you'll forgive me if, if, I, if I do in some cases here. But let me bring it back to the point. Number five, eldership is not a means of bestowing grace on other people. There are some who come from backgrounds, you may be this way yourself, where you have been taught and believed that the priesthood, the eldership, the leadership is a way to have your sins forgiven. Okay? You're not going to find that, certainly among the leaders that we have here. We all understand very well our sins are much like the Apostle Paul and we would say greater than anybody else's. And so we have no ability to bestow some act of grace of forgiveness of sins and and really even in that provide grace at all other than what God gives to us out of our own hearts in a personal sense. I guess what I'm saying here is that elders are not the people who have the ability to make anyone more godly. We just haven't been given that ability to do so. Only God can provide these things. Here's a final one here. An elder is not an advisor to the pastor. Okay, The eldership is not a board of men like in a business who would give advice, uh, would give just uh, solutions to various tasks and say, here, consider this and then go do it and, and maybe we'll support you. Maybe we won't. This is not an advisory board. An elder is not a policymaker, like in some business sense again, or a financial officer, or a fundraiser, or an administrator. Now, there are certain aspects of all of that, and if you're in church life long enough, you'll understand that. That's just the way things have to happen. I mean, the bills still have to be paid, so somebody has to make those kind of decisions. And, and there are business means that need to be taken care of, but 
I just want you to understand that this is the elders of Laurel Hill are not in our understanding of biblical qualifications to be people who are just a an advisory board to me. Okay. So you might ask then, well, that's a lot of knots and we could come up with even more. So what is it? Well, in the simplest of definitions, eldership really or being an elder is a word used to simply identify a man who leads God's people in its simplest form. And I'm talking about spiritually as well as functionally in the life of the church. And that's very important that you understand that because our role as elders or an elder has really no authority over your life out in the world. In other words, I, as an elder or any of the other elders of the church, can't come to you and say, you should take this job over that job. We don't have the authority to do so. Now, we can say to you, um, biblically, here's what God tells you to look out for. Here's what God wants you to possibly pray about. Uh, But we have no ability to command or dictate to you what you do outside these walls. Our job is to function spiritually, functionally within the church, physically, yes, tangibly, yes, in many ways but not to give anything other than what I'm talking about here. Now, beyond that, just historically, the word elder um, has been used in a lot of different ways, used both in the Old and New Testament to identify somebody who's been given the responsibility to oversee the lives of people in the church. Okay, And I hope that's clear to you, uniquely for the purpose of caring for them. That's our role as elders, is to care for you to care for you in lots of different ways so that you become people who are after God's own heart. We are called as men to stand aside, to be humble in our service, to be as gracious as we can as God gives us the grace, even though we have no ability to bestow grace, to deal kindly and gently, considering, and I want you to hear this, you as better than ourselves. And that's very, very important. And we find a lot of this, not just from me, but Paul's identification of himself of himself and an elder in several places in Scripture. So let's go there for just a minute as we look at several places. In Philippians chapter 1, and again, these are all on the screen for you, beginning in verse 1, Paul's introduction to the church in Philippi, he says, Paul and Timothy, notice how he refers to himself as bondservants. Okay, now that's a higher calling if you will, in the humility sense of what a servant would be. A bond servant was a person in those days who was literally given themselves or taken in some cases in a secular sense by force to serve without, a, without recourse. In other words, they didn't necessarily choose this. This was something that was thrust upon them. And so Paul uses that terminology to help people to see that God was the one who called us. We are indentured servants to him. We are under the bondage of God. Notice how he says this, of Christ Jesus. This was not our decision. We didn't come up with this on our own. This was God himself who called. In fact, if you go back to our text in 1 Timothy 3, notice what Paul says there. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. And you see the same kind of thing in Titus chapter 1, verse 7. I'm not going to read that one, but you can go back and hold your uh, and read that on your own. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. 
Listen to this very clear definition here. I exhort the elders among you, Peter saying this, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter's almost given a definition here. Listen, he says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. It's a beautiful picture there that would be very well known. Now, you and I are not shepherds. Some of you have been shepherds. Some of you are shepherds, and you understand what that means. But notice how he, can, he goes on, and he says, exercising oversight, how about this, not under compulsion. In other words, nobody's forcing you to do this, but you're doing it voluntarily. That you know that God has called you, and so out of the own willfulness of your own heart, you do what you do because you know God is doing this. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And we'll talk about that sordid gain here in just a minute. And so, again, just to make it as clear as possible, I want you to understand that eldership, biblically speaking then, is a group of biblically qualified men, and that's listed for us here in a minute, who jointly pastor the church, together lead the church by specifically being involved in the lives of people. And that's because God has given to us as elders a desire, not only externally, but internally, this spirit-driven call by the Holy Spirit himself to do what God has said in the body of Christ. I guess in its simplest explanation, elders are servants of servants. And that's a clear description, I think. As you consider yourself to be servants of the Lord, elders are not to consider themselves anything other than those who serve the servants. And I love that description there, which again highlights the unbelievable position and desire and should be the, the real qualification here is one of humility. If you can imagine serving servants... In the days when all of this was written, that would have been almost unheard of. Is that you become that, and Paul even would refer to himself at one point as an under rower. If you know the definition of an under rower, it was that picture of the galley slave who was there not by his own will, but because he had been taken captive by the Roman government for whatever reason. And he was put in the lowest part of the ship, chained to the ship as a slave. And he was the rower. He would be the one who would just spend his life at the oar paddling the ship. And so Paul referred to himself, I am the under rower. I'm not the elevated one. I am the humble servant of God's people. And so it's a beautiful description of what this really means. And the word position here, what Paul means, can really encompass several functions, such as, as you probably already know, teaching God's word. That's highlighted in Scripture, giving direction to the church, biblically especially, and hopefully you've already gotten that by now. But there are some tangible things that have to come from that, such as the setting of goals. And yes, there is the need for setting of goals, and that's specifically to obtain spiritual results, making decisions that are best for the church, because that has to happen. Again, all of this bound up in the spiritual area. Correcting errors. Not just, be, not just in your daily life, but theological errors. Correcting things that may be misunderstood, which is one of the reasons why uh, you pay me as an elder of the church to specifically deal with the preaching and the teaching. That's my main function. 
so that you have someone can be a voice of interpretation of the scriptures to give your spirit ability to bear witness with the spirit of God so that you're understanding what God is really saying through his text. An elder then is to help bring about also changes in the church when necessary, and that happens, right? The life of we live is very dynamic, and there are times where we have to make changes in the church, and so God appoints all of this to the people who are leading in eldership. All to fulfill God's commands. It's not at the whims of the elders. It's not our position to just say, oh, I think we want to do this, and we hope God will jump on. But we spend time in prayer asking God for his direction, as we really should do nothing unless God has given to us the plan of action even if that means waiting until he moves. Uh, But all with the purpose of not just serving God, but motivating you as God's people to live the lives that God really wants you to live. And part of this also, continuing on with these thoughts, is that elders are to continually evaluate the state of the church. In other words, never should it be that an elder would be a man who just takes on the role and then goes about his life merrily or just comes to meetings when he feels like it and and just kind of picks and chooses what he wants to do. No, that's not the role at all. It is to be a life that is called to plan and to be a part of the governing, which involves problem solving, looking at people's lives, thinking through issues, managing people as a servant of God. It's really a, there's really nothing like it in all the world that can express this the way that God does in the way that he does in these two things. We'll see a couple other examples here in just a minute of how God does illustrate this task more from a personal level that you'll be able to identify with, certainly. Well, just thinking through some of these things, and again, I'm just really giving you the the very uh, basics of all of this. We could spend weeks studying through each one of these things. Uh, You can imagine, and, and Peter, you may be feeling this already, if you haven't already, Uh, that it's not an easy task. God is not calling you to a life of ease. He's not calling you to something that's just going to be just a fun thing to do. And that's because to lead the church requires a great deal out of the person. Now, a person only knows that who has actually been in church leadership. And if you're sensitive to that, you understand. If you watch the life of an elder the life of a spiritual leader, you know that it's not an easy task. Because number one, you understand that it's a call of God. And to just be under the reminder that the Spirit of God is the one who's done the work is a heavy weight itself from a, from a human perspective. Because the desire is built in there by the Spirit so that the person leading is wanting what's best for the people and what's best for the church. And so there comes a certain weight with all of that that's not easily to rectify in a lot of ways. To do so, though, requires that we as elders get to know you. And I hope you've known that over the years, that that's certainly been our desire. We need to know what troubles you. We probe. We often pick your brains. We try to listen to you and to hear your hearts about what's really going on in your mind. Uh, We speak very little about ourselves because the desire is not for what's going on with us, but what's going on with you. That's what an under-shepherd does. That's what a shepherd does. He spends his life out in the field with the sheep. I know we're using an illustration here that's not 
normal for us, but in the days that God wrote this, it would be very normal. But if you can just imagine that, the shepherd cares little for his own life as he has to care much for the life of the sheep. But it is a God-ordained and a divine task. And so with all of that, not only do we need to know your spiritual needs, we need to know what strengthens you, what causes you to feel weak internally and externally. We need to know what your sinful tendencies are. Not that we're the sin police and we go around asking you the questions that are the deepest and darkest in your life and write them down so everybody can read them. But there are times where people like yourself struggle with your own sinfulness and and elders are here to help you discern the word of the Lord and to know what, what ways there are to come about removing those things from you and many other things. And so speaking of the elder himself, then all of that requires a great sensitivity, a desire to know, it takes a lot of patience. The biblical word is long-suffering. That means you suffer long with people. And I can tell you over the years that I've served you and served even in the church in Lynchburg where Peter knew me from, uh, there are times where it just seems like, Lord, are we ever going to get to the end of this with this person or with this situation? And so, you know, we're not just ones to give quick responses, but to walk alongside and to live life with you, which requires a lot of not only personal patience, but it takes a lot of self-sacrifice, not only from the elder themselves, but even from their families. It's a 24-7 job, whether it is a job that is paid by the church or, or, or not, it doesn't matter. And so because of all of these things, that person has to be, the elder has to be very self-disciplined. There are many, many, many times in the life of the church where things have to change in your own personal life on, on a moment's notice. I can remember many times where my wife and I were planning family events or something even on major holidays where we were called because of some situation and had to change that at the last minute. And, and uh, that's not a burden for a person who knows that they're truly called by God because we know that that's part of the job. And so it requires not only great faith, but it requires a great diligence and a perseverance, the ability and the willingness trusting the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit all the time because he knows and the elder knows that we have no ability to do anything that he's asked us to do unless God empowers them to do so and to be that person. And you see all this instruction from Paul to Titus and Timothy. Let me just give you a couple other thoughts here back to Titus chapter 1 so you know this is not just coming from me or what I've made up. Paul is giving instruction to a young man named Titus who was one of his followers as well and growing in the faith. He says, I left you in Crete so that, if you notice this in verse 1 of chapter 1, excuse me, verse 5, that you would set in order. And that's an interesting phrase. Paul is giving Titus the understanding that this is part of your leadership there. Appoint elders. And then he goes on to describe the qualifications of that man. He says in verse 7, the elder or overseer, which is, by the way, the same word when you see in Greek, uh, elder, overseer, bishop, it's all basically the same word, but it's used to mean various meanings behind the word. There's different functions within the realm of, of each of those. And he goes through all of the listings of what he is and is not to be, and I would really encourage you to read those, specifically verses 7 through 9. 
Listen to how Paul shares a little bit more beginning in verse 7. I do want to read this part, though, because it helps you to see, again, the heart of the person and what they're up against. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I want you to see, again, the purpose of purposeful strain on the person, not that it's a burden, but that there is the need to take this very seriously. For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Again, he's talking to Timothy. He's instructing his heart on what it means to be an elder. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive. Do you hear the words that the Spirit is using here? These are not just flippant reactions. These are diligent, heartfelt, physical searchings for what God wants. Because, and we do this, we live this life because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And so having just taught Timothy some things previous to this, he's now referring back to that. We didn't read this a second ago, but verse 11 is this. Prescribe and teach these things. And by the way, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. In other words, eldership really has nothing to do with age. Okay, now the word certainly means the older ones, and that's how it was used in a physical sense in Israel especially, bearded ones, meaning they're the older of the men. But Paul says to Timothy, look, I'm not looking at you because of your physical age. God has called you because of your spiritual maturity. And so don't let anybody tell you that you're not qualified for the job. But here's what you do need to pay attention to. Your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. And in those things, be an example. Verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself. Now, I could go through all of that, but just let me summarize those thoughts this way, that all that means that elders are to teach the truth of God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that the elder has to be the preacher, but it does mean that the elder should have the ability to even sit privately with someone and explain the scriptures. That's what the qualification means. They don't have to be the orator like I'm doing, And God makes that distinction here in just a minute, but they do have to have the ability to explain scriptures like I was just saying. While at the same time in verse 6, Paul says, you need to be constantly nourishing yourself on the word. In other words, you've got to continually be growing. You can't feed if you don't first take in, right? Living as an example to follow verse 12 in all the ways that we mentioned. We are to be those people that you as the church are able to look to and say, these are people who model and exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ in our leadership. And so those are the instructions for an elder. But let me give you some now instructions for you, okay, very quickly. I want you to go to 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. Now I could go to the other places again, but for the sake of our time, I'm not going to do that. I want to make just a few points from verses 17 through 22. And I hope that in this you'll be asking questions of the Spirit that we won't have time to delve into, but you'll be asking the Spirit to help you understand, and hopefully I can give you a little bit of a basic understanding here. In verse 17, Timothy is now instructed to understand that the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, 
especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. So that's a lot. Let me just break it down into four components here. Number one, in verse 17 and beyond, I think he's saying, treat you. Now, this is instructions to you as the church, that you're to treat the elders who do their job well with great respect. You're to treat them with great respect. Notice again, verse 17, the word rule in the Greek language, means to stand first. Okay, Those who stand first. We've already discussed what that looks like in a servant sense, but you're now picturing this in your mind as those who are leading you. So they stand first, like the, the front of the line kind of a thing is the idea, which implies guidance, direction, and leading. Notice he says those who do that well, and that simply means are doing their jobs and are doing it excellently, which is what they're supposed to be doing, basically is saying those people who you call as elders, church, who stand in front of you and lead their lives, they are to do so excellently. That doesn't mean perfectly. I'm thankful God said that, aren't you, Peter? Peter might say we have something else to talk about (laughs) if we're going to be perfect here. And, And you know better than anybody after almost 20 years of service to you that I am anything but perfect. But God says we are to lead excellently. We are to rule well. That means that we are not to have the golden scepter in our hands and bop you on the head. It just simply means as servants, we live our lives in a way that you would want to follow. That's the real idea here. And to you then, when an elder does his job well, you are to consider that what he says in verse 17. That means to think about them. This is not a church. Church life is not to be something that you take lightly. It is to be something that you do very seriously. That when you leave these walls after just a few moments of being together, that you don't just put it in the back of your head and say, okay, I'll see you next week but that you're considering the things of God regularly in your life. And especially when it comes to this, you are to consider your leaders. I suppose if we said it another way, it is your responsibility to pay attention mentally and spiritually to your elders. You're to evaluate them. Not only listen to them, but evaluate them. Not so much in an official way as, as, as if you're evaluating them in a job description, but you're to pay attention to them in their spiritual lives as servants of God. And in doing so then, once you see what God is doing, you are to give them honor. And that word simply means just what you know, and that is to value or esteem them or to respect them. Again, not because they're better than you, but because God has set them aside for the task. And now notice verse 17, and I I really struggle to go through this part. It seems a little self-serving, but it's the word of the Lord, so I've got to do it because we're not going to leave anything out that God tells us. He says, especially the elders who work at teaching and preaching. Now, 
that, that helps us understand that there are elders who are not the primary teachers and preachers. Okay, that's what I was talking about earlier. But he does say, to those men, give them double honor. Now, that really means two things. One, as we already said, to show them great respect, but also it means to pay them. Or at least it can mean that. So they can focus on the task of study and of prayer. And you even see that in the book of Acts. Double honor, uh, as much as my human flesh would love this, doesn't mean that you're necessarily to pay them double. Okay? (laughs) That would be nice. But it does mean that you are to acknowledge their work well. You're to pay attention to that well and provide more compensation for the one who preaches and teaches than you do for the others. Now, let me quickly say, that's not elevating the one elder over the others. Okay? I don't want you to hear that. It's not to create two different categories in the eldership. We got these guys who are the losers and this guy over here who's the public figure, right? That's not what it's to be seen as. Because in verse 17, notice that the Apostle Paul says, they're all to work hard. And that word literally means in Greek, to the point of exhaustion. But this is not just a fun thing to do. It is a great blessing, no doubt, because it's the work of the Lord. But it is to work hard, to be diligent in service. And you may be saying, yeah, you better because I'm paying you. Well, there's a sense of rightness in that, right? This is why God speaks to both groups, to the elders and also to the church, because this is a harmony of believers working together. And so as much as you do your diligence in this, To pay us, we are to in turn respond by working hard. And specifically in my responsibility, the preaching and the teaching. And I try to do that. I hope you know that personally. Many of you do. And you're very gracious about this. That I have specific times that I set aside through the week to dedicate to the study of God's word. Because I feel that's my role. And I want to be accurate to the best that I can. I want to be better all the time. I want to grow myself I want to work hard at knowing the word of the Lord to the, to the point of exhaustion where my mind at the end of the day says, that's all I can take in. I can't do any more than that. But the other elders are to do the same thing in their own respective ways to where the point that they exhaust themselves on doing everything that's necessary for the church because they are first and foremost servants. And as far as the pay goes, Paul supports this with, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the labor is worthy of his wages, which comes from Deuteronomy 25.4. So in other words, Paul is simply saying, hey guys, if the ox, while he's stamping out the grain for you, is free to feed off of the floor while he's stamping out, then give the big ox who's preaching, in my case... I'm saying the big ox, right, physically in stature, um, the compensation that he needs. And I think basically Paul is saying here to refuse to honor the man of God is to worse than not feeding an animal that works for you. So what are we saying? What I'm saying here is in this first point is that elders are not to be viewed by you as overhead. Uh, we're not to be viewed as a budgeted line item. We're not to be viewed as someone who just takes the resources of the church, 
kind of thing. It's nothing like that or the hired help. But we are to be considered as gifts to the church. And God wants you to honor that. Now secondly, in verse 19, Paul says basically you are to, as the church, protect the elder. Notice he says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And I have to tell you, and this probably will come as no surprise to you, but there are many people in life, and especially when it comes to church life, who love to accuse the leaders. That's natural, right? Any leadership position has that. Uh, There's a sense where our humanness understands that there are those over us, no matter whether that's secular or church life, who points the finger at the leaders. We want leaders who lead us. And oftentimes the leaders are the ones who get the ugly finger in their face and are often criticized for what happens, even if it's not their fault. They're the ones that people look to. And so the church's job is to know the difference between a lie and the truth. That's your responsibility. When accusations are made against your leaders, you are to digest that and listen to whether it's a lie or a, tr- uh, or a truth, whether it's gossip or legitimate concern, whether there's something to it or not. And so God says in all of that, don't receive accusations. You know what receive is. That means take to yourself. Don't consider in your mind an accusation that is unfounded. Unless, notice he says, more than one person comes to you with the same concern. And if that happens, then you have the responsibility of investigating to see whether that's valid or not. But now there is a warning in all this, just to help us to be clear, is that the psalmist will say in Psalm 105.15, do not touch my anointed ones, God says, and do do my prophets no harm. In other words, don't be hasty in your accusations. Don't be hasty in doing uh, your investigation to the point where you immediately condemn the, the elder. Because God doesn't take lightly false accusations against his people, against those whom he's called as church leaders. Here's the third thing. comes from verse 20. If there is an allegation that has merit, then the other elders in the church are to discipline them. Notice verse 20. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all. And the presence of all means simply the other elders and the church collectively. Now, if you wanted to really play this out, what that would look like is what we're told in Matthew 18. If you understand the instructions in Matthew 18, I'm just going to paraphrase here real quickly. The idea is if you're a person of the church, you're just a, and by the way, any person who's a born-again into the family of God is a person of the church, whether you attend a local church or not, which, by the way, you should be. That's another message. But just understand this, anytime two believers have an issue among themselves, the first step is to go privately to that person and seek to be restored. Don't tell anybody else about it necessarily, but go to that person and seek to be restored. If that person who has sinned against you does not receive your, uh, your willfulness to come and make things right, then you're to take some other people with you, what credible witnesses to the situation, people that you can trust that can hear this matter, And listen to the other person. If that person who sinned against you will not even hear that group, then you're to tell the church publicly that you've gone to this person, there's been sin against you, and they're not willing to repent from it. And the church then is to do the disciplining 
of course, led by the elders. Well, similarly then, God is saying that's the way it is to be within the eldership. If an elder is living a life of willful sin and will not repent, then you follow the Matthew principle. You go to them privately, which should come from the elders, or maybe it would be one of the elders. Then you take the group of elders, and if that will not happen, then the elders present that to the church, and the church collectively deals with the situation. And that goes for all the elders. In other words, not just the one who is the high profile or the lowest, I should say, on the ladder, if that's how people think about it. I hope you understand that in eldership, and I've tried to share this with our elders, is that what we really should see here is not a hierarchy of leadership. Often you'll see that in churches when you go into them, you'll see the pastor at the top and then the, the, the elders and the deacons and on down. Really what we should see is Jesus in the middle. If it is a big circle, Jesus is in the middle and rotating around Jesus are the elders, so to speak, and then the church body, where we are all part of the church body, but there is no hierarchy among the elders. Certainly there is leaders or there are leaders among leaders, and we see that even in the 12, where Peter, James, and John were the leader of the 12, and then Peter was the leader of the three, of James and John. And so there is a, a righteous hierarchy there in that sense, spiritually, but it should never be seen in a physical sense where one is less than the other. And I hope you got that from the first points I was trying to make. And so what, Peter, what Paul is saying here to Timothy is, don't treat the elders who have sinned any differently than one of the other ones. Notice verse 21. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels. How about that courtroom? You hear what God is saying? To maintain these principles without bias. Do nothing in a spirit of partiality. The word bias means just that. Discipline of an elder is to be done fairly, no matter who he is. Again, back to the unequal part there. If a person gives a lot of money and he's the elder in that church and people have a tendency, oh, we can't do this to him. Well, that's not right. Okay, fourthly, your responsibility is to obey your elders. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, like we've been doing to break this down, the word obey means literally to submit. Now, I hope you're hearing throughout all of this that this is not a taskmaster a boss employee kind of thing, but it is a divinely ordained structure spiritually that God has instituted in his church and he wants there to be leadership. And so this word obey means to submit, conform to the spiritual authority in the church. And that is because the elders exercise the very authority of Christ in the church why there's another term often referred to in elders, and that is we are under shepherds. We are under shepherds because Jesus is the great shepherd. And so we serve under him until he returns. And so there is an accountability to God. Notice what God says here to you, the church. The elder keeps watch over your souls and will give an account. You know what that means? That means not you, but me, 
and the other elders will one day give an account to God for how we led you. And that's not something that I look forward to. I only look forward to it if God's going to say good job. But I fear that greatly because I know that in my own failures, in my own inabilities, uh, there will probably be things that God will talk to me about. The truth is there is going to be a day where we will give an account for how, again, we led you. And this comes even from Old Testament passages like Ezekiel 33. This is the prophet Ezekiel speaking to him. God is speaking to him. Listen what he says. As for you, son of man, God is talking to Ezekiel. I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. Do you see where the appointment comes from? It wasn't by his own choosing. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. That's a pretty serious message to the prophet, isn't it? And beloved, honestly, that's why I've tried over the years to be honest with Scripture as much as I possibly know it myself. In Acts 20, 28, Paul, uh, we hear here, be on guard for yourself, talking to the elders. Be on guard for yourselves. In other words, examine your own heart and watch, for the, watch over the flock among which, notice, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Beloved, do you see the emphasis there again? That this was not something that I chose. Somebody, People have asked me over the years. In fact, somebody Wednesday night asked me, how did you know God came, wanted you to come here? And I said, I don't know. God just made it clear. It wasn't you who called us to be here in pastoral ministry. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit who does that. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. First Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself. And your teaching, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourselves and for those who hear you. And probably one of the most haunting New Testament passages other than the Hebrews passage is right here in James chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now that doesn't mean a judgment unto losing salvation or missing eternity. With God, but it does mean that God will judge those who stand in front of you at the head of the line, spiritually speaking, will suffer a greater judgment for how we do not lead well. And so, again, very, very serious calling. And so, the Lord left these instructions to the church because He wants you to listen to those people He has appointed to lead you. Not just for their sake, because they will be under the judgment of God for how they lead, but because you are to love them and make life easy for them for your sake. Because there's an emphasis here. Notice in verse 17, I'm back in Hebrews 13, 17, the second part of this. Notice he says, let them, that's talking about the eldership, do this with joy and not with grief. And notice now at the very end of this, he doesn't say, that's going to be bad for them. He's already made that clear. For this would be unprofitable for who? For you. For the church. 
There's an emphasis from God that says, listen, you want your leaders to be the right kind of people. You want to encourage them and pray for them and be seriously considering them in their lives and doing all that you can. Why? Because there's coming a time where God is going to ask you the question. How did you treat your leaders? How did you deal with them? And again, he's specifically talking about that in the, in the church. We could stretch that to passages like Romans 13, even though we may not agree with the leaders we have in place in our world and in our culture, but God says that there's not one leader in place that I haven't put there. And you can check me on that. You go back to Romans, 13, Romans 13 and even in 1 Peter. But specifically here, we're talking about in the church. So, <clears throat> if you haven't figured this out by now, God mediates his leadership through godly men in the church. And they're known as his representatives, his shepherds, elders. And it's a very serious task. So, that's instructions about elders. That's instructions to the church. Let me just talk to Peter here for just a minute. Peter, God said this to you in 1 Timothy 3, 2, that an overseer then must be above reproach. Again, thankfully God didn't say that's perfect, right? But above reproach means to be above criticism. And what he means there specifically is that an elder is not to have some thing in his life that people can't let go of. Some sinful tendency that the people struggle with. The simplest way to think of it is that there's no handle that a person can hold on to. Again, it's not perfection, but it is that in front of the body of believers, there's nothing that the body can say, I'm really struggling with this one area and I just can't get past it. That's why we gave the 30 days. And today, you know, last Sunday was the end of that so that people could have an opportunity to examine if they wanted to or if there was some concern that people knew about prior to this that they could come to us with. And so you're to live your life beyond the reach of someone's accusations sinfully to the best of your ability. And God says to live that way, you've got to guard your heart. And I'm not going to go through all of these, but he specifically talks about the area of sexual life. And you know that that is a huge temptation for any man of God. Integrity and his demeanor within the family, within the community, all of these are areas that your heart must be guarded over. God will specifically say that we are to have a testimony in the community of people that we work with. For instance, how terrible would it be for one of your coworkers to find out you're an elder of Laurel Hill and say, they appointed you an elder? Really? They didn't talk to me. Now, anybody can have things to say about us, right? So again, that's the perfection part. What we've done is examined your heart and life spiritually, and even your wife has borne evidence of that same truth. Secondly, not to be an elder for your own glory. We've already talked about that. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, we are not to be men pleasers, but to be concerned about God who examines our hearts. You're not to do this because you want some glory from it. Your appointment then is simply to trust to because you've been entrusted with the gospel. And you are to be recognized as a deliverer of that gospel, however God uses you in the role of elder. It's not to be something that you're using for your own personal benefit on a resume. You know, not that that can't have its benefits at times. Um, it's not a call for your own advancement. 
in life or to just look good in front of others. In 1 Thessalonians 2.5, Paul made this very clear. We never came with flattering speech. Paul's talking to the church in Thessalonica. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness. God knew our hearts, in other words. Verse 6, and this is what I was referring to a second ago, nor did we seek glory from men. And again, that's a great temptation, especially those of us who stand before others and preach and teach. It can be an easy temptation to lose sight of the fact of what you're really here for and not to make it about ourselves. And you know that Satan will do everything he can to elevate you over others. If he can't beat you at the bottom, he'll try to beat you at the top. And so you've got to watch out for this, by especially the praises of men. It's very tempting when others come and say, boy," to think of how good I am. And so you've got to be careful not to let your heart be distracted by what people say or what they don't say. Because many times you'll give a deliverance of something that you believe was the best that anybody could ever record in history. And nobody will say a word. And you'll wonder what's wrong. Another thing is never lead with a dictatorial spirit, but gently. And that's, that's, that's far different often than what the world would teach us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, we prove to be gentle among you. Notice this, as a nursing mother. Love this illustration. Who tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, he's talking about ourselves as leaders, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of our God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. If you just think about that picture of, of a mother with children, you have a precious example right here in your wife who genuinely cares like a mother can. And that's so beautiful, so loving and so tender, so affectionate. You know, God has so blessed us with godly women and godly moms. And the reality is that God points this out because, again, most of the people that we deal with are people who are not looking for just praises, but people who are looking to you for help because they have stress in their life that's at its highest peak, often. And often with that stress comes a lot of consternation, comes a lot of struggles inwardly, and they're stressed out. And so they need the tenderness that, like a mother can give or how she can give to her family and, and whatever other ways. And so the simple meaning here is that you let your words and your life be gentle and loving, just like a mom is in every situation with God's help. Um, there'll be times, like with a mother, I've already alluded to this, you have to serve when it's not convenient. Uh, Lindsay, you need to know that too. But there'll be days and times, and we pray that that's not often, but there are times where the elders have to convene for some reason because of some significant event, and it will inevitably be when it's not convenient. Paul said it this way, For you recall in verse 9, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You know, you think about a mother, she's always ready, isn't she? When a child's in need. Doesn't matter what time of day or night it is. She gives up her wants for the needs of the baby, the child. She'll abandon her own desires for whatever that child may need. She'll weep when the children are not home or when the children are not living the life that they should be living and endure a pain that nobody can understand but a mom. 
And so God uses that in the life of a man who in leadership of of the church says, that's how I want you to think of yourself and to lead that way. But it doesn't stop there because there's takes two in a family. He says you are to lead like a loving father also. Notice in verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 2. Your witnesses, and so God is, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Hear him expressing his heart here. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. The idea of exhorting, the three words here he uses is exhorting is to come alongside. It's kind of similar to the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. That's what a father does with a child, right? It does in the family. The father comes alongside the family and he directs and he instructs and he encourages for the purpose of helping that child or that person in the family to live a a life that's pleasing uh, to the community, but also society and especially to God. And so in the church, you and I as elders and the other elders are to lead in the same way. Our encouragement is to direct and instruct and even to exhort, which we talk about next, and even the imploring part. Or actually, first before that, Paul moves into the encouraging, and that's the, the comforting still. You know, there's such great comfort in a father. You know, I knew your dad, and your dad was a great man like that. And so we're to model those things. He says to implore, that has to do with helping people stay on the right course. It's our desire, our job, to beg people, to encourage, to do whatever we can to keep them on the right spiritual path, to make sure that they're following the things of God, meaning there are going to come times where we have to discipline. We've already talked about that. Again, helping people to see the seriousness of their consequences. It's not fun. It's not easy. But there are times that we have to just be very clear with people about what God has said. There's a beautiful illustration of all of this in 1 Corinthians 5. And we're almost done here. Where Paul says this to the church. It's actually reported that there is immorality among you. So the Apostle Paul is dealing with a sinful situation in the church at Corinth by letter because he's not there. It's reported there's immorality among you within the church, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. He's talking about the unsaved world. Within the church, there's such a a sexual sin going on. And here it is that someone has his father's wife. A child is actually having the sexual relationship with his mother. You become arrogant if not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. You've shown no desire to discipline this situation. For I on my part, although absent in body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, just in context, the Apostle Paul is talking about a believer a person who had done something that was a sin, and so he brings about his judgment as a leader spiritually over that. But beautifully, and I hope you hear this part, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6, here's that father who's been the disciplinarian. Now it's reported that this same man repented, and he's made his life right with the Lord. And he says to the church now, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. In other words, you put him out, you dealt with the discipline, 
so that on the contrary, you should now forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. In other words, what he's saying is not only did he discipline and the church discipline, but now he's saying to them, okay, now that this person has repented, you need to receive them back and love them back into the family and restore them. And that's what forgiveness does. But this is part of our our role. And so let me just give you the best conclusion to all this that I can think of. And I read portions of this a second ago, and actually in the very beginning, 1 Peter 5, 1. I think Peter encompasses all of what we've just heard this morning right here in these few verses. I exhort you as your fellow elder and witnesses of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for your own sordid gain. In other words, you're not doing this for money but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I love that because the shepherd, the great shepherd tells us he knows. He knows the church. He knows your heart. He knows your desires. He sees everything that you don't see and that I don't see. And when we do our jobs well, he will reward us. So, Peter and Lindsay, if you guys will come forward. Lindsay, I want you to join Peter in this. Um, What I'm going to do here, folks, is I'm going to read a charge to Peter and to Lindsay because... Not that she's becoming an elder, uh, but but she will live with him in his eldership. And um, Peter's just going to speak into the mic so you online can hear this. Peter, here's your charge. You have been affirmed by the elders to serve in the capacity of an elder. So I have four questions. Will you affirm your allegiance to Christ, the church, and the Holy Scriptures? If so, say, I will, the Lord being my helper. Secondly, will you accept this responsibility and strive to fill this servant's role to which you are called and to promote the interest of the church to assist the other elders to look out for the best interest of the church, seeing that none shall suffer so far as is in your power to prevent? If so, say, I will, the Lord being my helper. I will, the Lord being my helper. Will you promise to cooperate with the elders to further the interests of this church in promoting its harmonious and effective working of all its ministries? If so, say, I will, the Lord being my helper. I will, the Lord being my helper. And finally, will you accept this call in this church and promise faithfully to perform the duties required? If so, say, I will, the Lord being my helper. I will, the Lord being my helper. Thank you, Peter. Now to you, the congregation... Will you, members of this church, acknowledge and affirm Peter as one of your elders? Will you honor him, encourage him, and cooperate with him as he performs his duties as a servant leader? If so, say, I will, the Lord being my helper. Amen. So now, Peter, I charge you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that you forever strive to fill your calling to the best of your knowledge and ability and that you will seek the Lord's divine guidance 
in all your work as you serve him as an under-shepherd of his church. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'd like to do this. If you guys would just come and stand down here. We're going to close this way. Um, Hamp's going to come and play. I'm going to ask those of you who would like to come and just kind of surround them um, as church to affirm them, and then we'll just have a closing prayer and a, and a song, okay? So let me pray, Hamp, and then you can lead us in a song, if you will. So you can just get up and come if you desire to do so. Don't if you don't. We want to show this family our love and our appreciation to God for what he's done for us and providing them. couple of you. It's a wonderful moment in the life of the church when God provides such a joy. Father, we we conclude this time together uh, with joyful hearts, hearing the truth of your word and and hearing the, the great requirements on the life of the man, the life of the family of the man, and even the life of your church. And so, Father, it's not with any lightheartedness that we come to you this day acknowledging our thankfulness and our gratefulness for Peter and Lindsay. Lord, it's with great joy that we come because we know that your face is shining upon us to give us godly leaders. Father, we would ask that among the leadership that you would help us to be all that you've called us to be that you would give us the physical fortitude, the mental fortitude, and certainly the spiritual desire and fortitude to follow you no matter where you lead us. And Lord, that we would be always reminded that this is your church, that you are the author and you are the finisher, you are the builder and the maker, and that we are no more than servants whom you love dearly with your own life. And so we honor you and we praise you for this moment. And we thank you for our gathering. We thank you for the life that you've given to us here at Laurel Hill for however long that may be. And we ask that you would honor Peter and his new venture, that you'd honor the church here locally, and that you would bring glory to yourself through us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Ham's going to lead us in a song here. I just want to say this now, and you already know this, but just as a clarification, um, you should see Peter now as as a a pastor among you, as a leader among you, okay? And so uh, he will begin his responsibilities as immediately as we can make that happen. Let's stand and sing. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken.
Heavenly Father, you are the only great Lord. There is no other above you. Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you for the gift of the breath in our lungs so that we can speak your name, so that we can share that name, that love with others. Lord, we thank you for our brother Peter who is joining us. Lord, we ask your blessings on he and his family as he embarks on this new part of his life in serving you. So, Lord, thank you so much for the family that you've given us here. We thank you for the gift of of our church that uh, we have brothers and sisters here. So, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, it's in whose name I pray. Amen.